Good morning, Real Life Church. Interesting that we come to the end of our time with First and Second Peter on the last Sunday that Carol and I are with you. Remember in the first letter, he wrote to a suffering, holy, born-again, special people, God's royal priesthood. When we came to the second letter, he wrote to a gifted, growing, goal-orientated Christian community gathered by the prophets, guaranteed through their words and through the words of our Lord Jesus. And last Sunday, we spoke of the first of two threats from Satan against God's church, and of course, those are threats against you. We spoke about the warning of attacks from within the church by false teachers. Now today, we're going to talk about one of the second attacks. Peter mentions two, and of course there are others as well, but this is an attack you need to be aware of in the day in which you are living. So let's read that third chapter together, shall we? Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? Where is this coming Jesus promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and the earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing. Dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years with the Lord is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with His promise... We are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, 
and at peace with Him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters, interesting, contain some things which are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. But, rather than that, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's go back to that first couple of verses. It's his second letter, and he's writing them because he wants to stimulate their thinking to wholesomeness. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior. And he says, that command came to you through the preaching of the apostles. So the obvious question is, what did they say? What was it they said that he wants them to remember? And it's important every now and then for us to remind ourselves of what God has said in the past and what has actually happened. Let me just give you three examples. There are many in Scripture. I'll just take three rapid examples of things that have been written about in Scripture and have come to pass. King Herod built a magnificent temple in Jerusalem. Huge, huge temple enormous stones one upon the other, and this temple was one of the wonders of the world of his day. One day the disciples were leaving from Jerusalem, they looked back down from the Mount of Olives, and they saw this beautiful temple, and they said, Jesus, whew, look at those buildings. And Jesus said, you see those buildings? Not one stone will be left on another. That whole temple is going to be completely flat, it's going to be gone. Well, some years after that, about 40 years later, the Jewish people revolted against the government of Rome and decided to become independent again. Caesar sent a general by the name of Titus with orders to crush the rebellion. Titus gave orders to say, do whatever you do with Jerusalem, but don't touch the temple. Somehow, the orders didn't filter through. Somehow, the temple was destroyed, and the Romans were thorough. Today, if you go there, all that's left is the platform upon which the temple stood. There is not one single stone left on another. And scoffers will say, oh, please, lucky guess by Jesus. Let's talk about the Jewish people themselves. They instituted that rebellion the Romans were thorough and ruthless, and they crushed them. They carried off whatever was left of the, of the worth of the temple back to Rome. And the Jewish people were dispersed across the empire as slaves. And the purpose of Rome was that they would cease forever as a people. But somehow, they didn't cease. 
Time after time after time, pogroms and persecutions all aimed at destroying the Jewish people. There was a reason for it. It wasn't just human thinking. Back in hell, there was the reality that God had said in the Old Testament, yes, I will scatter you throughout the nations, but in the end times, I will gather you back again. And Satan was going to have that. Other peoples, the Assyrians and the Babylonians and, and any you'd like to mention, the old Greek empires, they all came and left and gone in their civilization, but the Jewish people are still here. In 1948, God did a miraculous thing in the United Nations. Even Russia voted for the state of Israel to be constituted. And three times, 1948, 1967, again in 1973, Satan sent hordes of Arab armies to crush them and to destroy the Jewish state, all to no avail. Because the words of the prophets through God would come true. And you've seen it in your lifetime. Let me just give you one other. The New Testament says that when Jesus comes again, every eye will see him. Scoffers said, that can never happen. I'll tell you why. Let's say he came to Jerusalem today. The New Testament writers weren't aware of the fact that the earth is round. And those behind the horizon, they couldn't see him come. Now that's been true until your lifetime. Why? Because of television and the internet. If he came anywhere on earth right now, you'd all see it. I'll give you an example of that. When the planes hit the World Trade Center, how did the people in Australia see it right away? That's the answer. I am reminding you that the promises and prophecies and all that Jesus said that have, could have come true by now have come true. And if that's the case, what makes you think for one moment the rest isn't going to come true? Of course it is. So, we talk about the scoffing. And we say to them, scoffers, you are discounting the power of God's word. When God speaks a thing, it will happen. No matter what the devils and the demons and the culture and the society and the lawgivers and the rulers of the nations taking counsel, no matter what they do, the word of our God will come true no matter what you do. Talk about the word of our God. Peter turns to the creation moment. He says that by the word of God, the creation came to be. I haven't got time to go into all the mathematics and the, and the astronomy of it. But it is commonly held today that the universe had a beginning. For many years, scoffers said the universe had no beginning. It was eternal. But now they've had to admit it had a beginning. But more than that, they are saying today and teaching in universities that the universe began in an instant. In the time it takes to speak a word, most of the universe exploded into being. <laughs> we knew that all along. He talks here about God's powerful creative moment. Talks about how the waters formed. He talks about the flood judgment. 
Peter is saying to the scoffers of his day, scoffers, the word of our God is powerful. But you know, he makes a further comment. Not only does he talk about the creation moment, not only does he talk about the flood, but he says in verse 6, a powerful thing, these waters, also the world of that time was deluged, verse 7, but the same word, by that same word of God, the present heavens and the earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. We are not over-concerned by global warming. Could it be, and I'm not saying it is, but could it be that these are just the beginnings of what's going to happen to this world of ours? Peter says the world and everything in it is going to be destroyed by fire. Heat is going to be the whole end process of it. Is it possible that we are beginning to see the fulfillment of what these words have been saying to us. Scoffers, take note. This is a chapter about scoffing. But it's also a chapter about the slowness. You see, what the scoffers are saying is, well, it hasn't happened yet. It's like the man who fell off the skyscraper and half the way down he was heard to say, so far so good. This is a chapter about the slowness. You see, they're saying, everything just continues the way it used to. Look at verse 8, 9, and 10. Don't forget this one thing, dear friends. For the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise. Just because it's taken 2,000 years so far, doesn't mean that these aren't the last days. Because if a day with the Lord's like a thousand years, then 2,000 years are just days, right? Even if it took 3,000 years, it would just be days as far as the Lord's concerned. So he's saying, with regard to the slowness, he's saying, this is happening for a very important reason. I'll tell you what the reason is. It's right here at the end of verse 9. God is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but wants everyone to come to repentance. The reason why God is taking time, giving it thousands of years, is to get the maximum number of people saved. God is not a God wanting with two big lists saying, I don't want you, and I want you, and I don't want you, and I want you. God wants everybody. God's great desire is to give every single person the maximum opportunity to be saved. On that great judgment day, when some will be sent away to eternal punishment, no one will be able to point their finger in God's face and say, you didn't give me a chance to be saved. You didn't give me a chance to turn to you. God has through nature, God has through scripture, God has through the witness of his people, God has through the missionaries. God has given every possible opportunity for salvation. Why? Because that's what his heart is like. So yes, this is a chapter about the scoffers, but it's also a chapter dealing with the slowness, with the seeming slowness of God taking his time before bringing about the final day. But that day will come, because verse 10 says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by what? By fire. 
and the earth and everything in it laid bare. That day's coming. That day is coming. And there's a sense in which that is also a thumb in our backs as Christians. If that day is coming, then we need to continually be at it in witnessing for Christ. This is a chapter about the scoffers. It is a chapter about the slowness. But it is also a chapter about the spotlessness or the spotless. There's a song that I often hear at the ordination of Nazarene preachers. In fact, I don't hear it very much outside of that anymore. This song used to be like the theme song of the Church of the Nazarene. I want to take a moment or two just to remind you of what that song says, because it's right in line with the idea of the spotlessness of this chapter. The song says, called unto holiness, church of our God, purchase of Jesus and redeemed by his blood, called from the world and its idols to flee, called from the bondage of sin to be free, called to holiness, children of light, walking with Jesus in garments of white, raiment unsullied, nor tarnished with sin, God's Holy Spirit abiding within. Called unto holiness, praise His dear name, the blessed secret to faith is now made plain, not our own righteousness, not, not our own righteousness, but Christ within, living and reigning and saving from sin. The last verse says, called unto holiness, Bride of the Lamb, waiting, 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 the bridegroom's returning again. Lift up your heads, for the day draws near when the beauty, when in the beauty the king shall appear. This is a chapter talking about spotlessness. I want to remind you of verse 11. Since everything's going to be destroyed in this way, since the day of the Lord is coming, since there will be a fiery end to the world, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You, you the royal priesthood, you the born-again believer, you the people of God, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. There is a spotlessness that God wants to affect in our lives. There is a holiness that He's calling you to. There is a lifestyle that is different from the way the world lives. There is a victory over sin to which He's calling. If it's all going to be destroyed, if you know Jesus is coming back, ought you not then to live a spotless life? Of course the answer is yes. Lastly, Let's talk a little bit about the security, because this chapter has something to say about security. You see, there are some Christians who believe that as long as you prayed the sinner's prayer, as long as you prayed that prayer, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins, cleanse me of my past, come into my life, as long as you prayed that prayer, no matter what you do after that, you are eternally secure. You can never miss out on heaven as long as you prayed that prayer somewhere along the line. And of course, one of the favorite scriptures is where God says, I have you in the palm of my hand and nobody can pluck you from there. I agree with that. I believe nobody can pluck you out of God's hands. Nobody. However, the question I ask is, can you jump? The 
question I ask is, does your free will then cease to exist after some time or other you prayed that prayer? This is important. You see, this is a passage about security. We have a part to play in this salvation experience that we have with God. There is an aspect of the relationship that is ours, and Peter refers to it right here in verse 14. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, looking forward to the day of the Lord, looking forward to the end, looking forward to all God has promised, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. There is a challenge upon the Christian, not just to sit back and to say, oh, well, God will take care of it somehow. I can live as I please. There is a challenge to you saying, if you're looking forward to God's coming, the challenge is you must make every effort to be found spotless, to be living blameless, to being at peace with Him. When the devil comes to tempt you, the temptation is real. When the devil comes to tempt me, and believe me, preachers are tempted too. When the devil comes to tempt, the temptation is real. There are parts of you that want to go that way. That's the time to make every effort to resist. God is asking of you, when it comes to your security, to have a part in it. You see, Peter is speaking to believers when he writes these words. He's saying to us, I've made every effort. I've taken the trouble to write you these two letters so that after I'm gone, you will remember these things. You'll be involved in this life with God. So Peter, let's ask you, what's your last word in the two letters? You've told us all this stuff. You've told us that we are a royal priesthood, that we are a holy nation, that we are a people that are called to be the people of God. You've told us we've been called out of darkness into God's wonderful light. You've told us that we need to grow. You've told us you've given us all we need to grow. You've told us that there is a, a guarantee that has been ours. You've told us about the, the, the terrible problem of the false teachers who might try to lead people astray. You've told us all about the scoffers who come at the end mocking the day of the Lord. You've told us that God's word is sure. What's the last thing you want to say to us, Peter? Therefore, dear friends, since you know all of this, and I'm taking it for granted that you folks sitting here that have walked with the Lord a while, nothing that has been said in this series of sermons is like brand new to you. Like, huh, I never knew that. You've known these things. Now, since you know them, Peter says, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men. The New Testament talks about winds of teaching that blow through the church. You only have to be alive for two or three decades before you know that every now and then some new teaching comes along. It's never really new. If you know your Bible, you know that many of the old temptations and wrong teachings that come through the church, they're not new. They've been here many years. 
Satan isn't, Satan isn't creative. He just dresses up old stuff in new clothes. Now, since you guys know this, since you're aware of all the things that Peter has mentioned here in these two letters, be on your guard. You cannot afford to be a sleeping Christian. You cannot afford to be a lukewarm Christian. You cannot afford to be a Christian who's not on God. You need to be wide awake, Bible reading, praying, witnessing on God Christian in your lifetime. Why? Because there are lawless people wanting to lead you astray. Lawless in the sense of refusing to accept God's ways. Don't tell me about what God wants of me. I'm a free person. I can do as I want to, and I'll help you be just as free as me so we can go to hell together. That's what it comes down to. Be on your guard. Because if you're not, you can be carried away and fall from your secure position. What? Wait a minute, Peter, you, you couldn't, really? Yes, really. Be on your guard because the devil is about to desire to mislead you to fall from your secure position. That's what he's saying here. Now, since this passage was about scoffing and slowness and spotlessness and security, I wanted one last S to end the sermon. <laughs> and I'm calling it the senseness. Senseness? What kind of word is senseness? I don't think there is such a word. But he says, dear friends, since you already know this, what you know must be what you live. It's not good enough to be a Bible expert and not live the life God has for you. It's not enough to have your head full of Bible facts, but live as a reprobate soul. Since you know this, the senseness of your Christian faith requires of you the last words that Peter says to us. Be on your guard so that you won't listen to all the rubbish and false things that are coming across and fall from your secure position, but <laughs> grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's never an end to the growing that can happen when the child of God is feeding on Scripture, listening to God, being obedient to what he requires. I guess what Peter's really said the whole two letters is, you've been born again to grow to be like Jesus. It is not enough just born again and staying like that. He has called you to a growing knowledge of Jesus. That's your birthright. Don't let Satan steal it from you. Grow in God. Grow, grow. Now let's stand for a prayer to ask God that that may indeed be the case. That as your new pastor comes, that you will be a growing Christian. 
that the growth in you will lead to a growth in others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit moving upon the heart and mind of your servant Peter, and by the preservation of these scriptures down through the years when the devil attacked the Bible, we thank you, Lord, that we've had the privilege these many weeks to spend with First and Second Peter and to see within them the basics again of what it is to live, you, live your life, to serve you, to be the kind of people you want us to be. Thank you, Lord, for all of this. Now I pray that every believer here may be a growing believer. Every believer would be a deepening believer and a more Christ-like believer. Father, set anyone free from the thought, well, I've been a Christian now for 50 years, there's nothing more for me to learn. Father, grant to every Christian a hungering and a thirsting after your things, that the growth in them may continue to the day that they see Jesus, when that wonderful day comes, when all will be destroyed by fire, but you will give a new heaven and a new earth. We pray this in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.